Good morning, I'm Ali Farah. Um, I'm going to be doing the Bible reading today. Um, it's from 2 Samuel chapter 5 and it's all of the chapter. Um, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible version, CSB, um, which is the ones that we have at the back. Um, if anyone would like to grab a copy, it's on page 265 of that Bible, um, but I'll just give you a second to find it. So 2 Samuel chapter 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Here we are, your own flesh and blood. Even while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led us out to battle and brought us back. The Lord also said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel and you will be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron in the Lord's presence and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began his reign. He reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites who inhabited the land. The Jebusites had said to David, you will never get in here. Even the blind and lame can repel you, thinking David can't get in here. Yet David did capture the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. He said that day, whoever attacks the Jebusites must go through the water shaft to reach the lame and the blind who are despised by David. For this reason, it is said the blind and the lame will never enter the house. David took up residence in the stronghold, which he named the city of David. He built it up all the way around from the supporting terraces inward. David became more and more powerful and the Lord God of armies was with him. King Hiram of Tyre sent envoys to David. He also sent cedar logs, carpenters and stonemasons and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. After he arrived from Hebron, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of those born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they all went in search of David. But he heard about it and went down to the stronghold. So the Philistines came and spread out in Rephaim Valley. Then David inquired of the Lord, Should I attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, Attack, for I, I will certainly hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal Perazim and defeated them there and said, like a bursting flood, the Lord has burst out against my enemies before me. Therefore, he named that place, the Lord bursts out. The Philistines abandoned their idols there and David and his men carried them off. The Philistines came up again and spread out in Rephaim Valley. So David inquired of the Lord and he answered, do not attack directly, but circle around behind them and come at them opposite the balsam trees. 
When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, act decisively, for when, for then the Lord will have gone out ahead of you to strike down the army of the Philistines. So David did exactly as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Geba to Giza. Well, good morning, everyone. We have a wonderful passage ahead of us this morning, and uh, why don't we pray together that the Lord may speak to us clearly. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are a God who wants us to know you, and you want us to know you richly. Uh, may by the power of your spirit that happen this morning. Uh, for we are your people. Amen. Well, before the phenomenon of Lego Masters, there was the Brickman experience. In 2015, we got a flyer for the Brickman experience. I want you to imagine five 2D pictures of Lego on a piece of paper, right? It was going straight for the recycling bin. That was until my five-year-old grabbed it and blue-tacked it, blue it to his door. He's quite subtle. And I thought, here's a smart dad moment. We should go. So I bought tickets. And one Saturday, we got on the bus. We were living in Sydney. And we travelled to the city. And we lined up with some weird, fanatical Lego people and some normal people. And my plan was to sit in a dark corner and read a book. And he could play. The reality was so different. We saw 23D images of Lego, from the flyer in 2D to 3D. And so me and my son, we would circle them just round and round and round. And we would point out different things and we'd find the stories in the stories. And we'd see the patterns that we saw in different creation. Being there made it so much richer. This term, we're reading through 2 Samuel, the history of David's kingship. And last week, we saw that David had become king of all of the 12 tribes, all of Israel. And the question we meet in chapter 6 is, what is that kingdom going to be like? What sort of king will he be like? And in 2 Samuel 5, we get a 3D picture of the kingdom of David. As you heard Ali read, it's a strange passage. It's not a single narrative story. It's like four stories bolted together. And actually, they're not even chronological, right? The story with King Hiram happens at the end of David's reign. What we've got is a collage. We've got a group of episodes that are put together to describe the establishment of David's reign in 3D. Now that is really relevant to us because the kingdom of David is a prototype of the kingdom of God, God's good rule over earth. So as we walk around the prototype, the 3D picture of David's reign, what we're seeing is it's showing us the patterns of the king we follow and the kingdom we belong to. So this morning, we're going to go for a walk. All right, four episodes, episode one. Well, after seven years of separation, the 12 tribes are back together. What had happened is those 10 northern tribes had come to their senses and realized that rejection of God's chosen king was 
is foolish. That's exactly what happens when you become a Christian. Those who become a Christian realize that life without King Jesus as your king is foolish. And so the elders of the northern tribe, the ten elders, they make the walk to Hebron, which was south of Jerusalem. And that was not a family reunion. They weren't catching up for Mother's Day lunch. No, this was a marriage renewal. They were already married, but they're having a marriage renewal ceremony. They were recommitting their loyalty to God's king. And we see the vows in verses 1, 2 and 3, don't we? There is the first vow. Here we are, your own flesh and blood. The elders recognize that King David is not an enemy. He is the appropriate king because he is a blood relative. That was important in Deuteronomy 17 because the king had to be one from your blood, from your tribe, your family. They also recognize that they are one body that they, the northern tribes, belong and submit to David and David cares and leads for them like a body. Vow number two, you were the one who led led us out to battle and brought us back. The ten northern tribes go, we thought we had a king in Abner and Ishbosheth, but you really were our saviour. You've always been our saviour. And thirdly, you will shepherd my people Israel and you'll be ruler over Israel. The elders recognize that David is the fulfillment of God's promises and he is the leader they need. He is a shepherd ruler like their God. Now this marriage renewal, it bonds David and those northern tribes together. It's like a marriage. But it also wonderfully anticipates what it means to become a Christian. To come to Jesus is to say, he is an appropriate king for us because he is fully human in every respect. He is the saviour we need because he defeats our biggest enemies. And he is God's promised shepherd king who offers unconditional forgiveness, peace and eternal life to all who humbly come and commit to him. Let's have a look at episode two. Our focus moves 29 kilometres north from Hebron to Jerusalem. It was an ancient city in the tribe of Benjamin. Now, it was also the home of Melchizedek back in Genesis. It was where David took the head of Goliath in 1 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel 5, it is controlled by the Jebusites, a foreign nation with foreign gods. That was an enormous embarrassment for Israel. It was like a big pimple. David knew this needed to be dealt with for the kingdom to be established. And so we read that David takes an army up to Jerusalem and the Jebusites laugh at him. They say, sightless eyes and helpless legs could repel you, David. You're weak. You're useless. They think they're unbeatable and with good cause because Israel had tried many, many times 
to get rid of the Jebusites in Joshua and in Judges. Now, the Jebusites, they had the stronghold. The stronghold is the fortress. It was on the southeastern ridge of the city. It was surrounded on three sides by sheer cliffs and on the fourth side by a three-metre-thick wall. And it was called Zion. The Jebusites were happy to control Zion and live within David's borders, but not under his rule. But the Jebusites' confidence was misplaced because in reality they were the weak ones because on David's side was the God of armies. And so we read the Jebusites, they lose. We actually have no idea how they lose. The only weakness into Jerusalem was a water shaft. It provided water for Jerusalem even if the city was under siege. So maybe David sent his SAS troops up the water shaft and they did it. Or maybe he just stopped the water and they had no water to drink. We have no idea. But what we do know is that David wins. He takes the city and he renames it the City of David. And it becomes the perfect capital for a united kingdom. You know, if David had put the capital in his hometown of Hebron, then 10 northern tribes would have been absolutely cranky. And if David had put the capital up in a northern tribe city, then his town, his tribe would have been livid. Instead, what David does is he chooses a neutral city for God's king to rule God's kingdom. Now that's important, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is David ruling from Zion. That little phrase, David ruling from Zion, the king ruling from Zion, that is a pattern which then flows all the way through the Old Testament as the pattern for God's future deliverance through his king. See Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. A thousand years after David, Jesus rode to Zion on a donkey. Jesus took his throne on a cross and was crowned with those thorns on Zion. And the resurrected Jesus now rules the universe from the heavenly Zion. Let the reader understand. There is nothing more foolish than standing against the king that God puts on Zion. Finally, we see the fulfillment of an old promise. In Genesis chapter 15, 18 to 21, God cut a promise with Abraham, the, the patriarch of Israel. And you can see it on the screen. God says, I'll give you Canaan, the land occupied by these people will be yours. And we see that whole list of people. But do you notice who's there last on the list? The Jebusites. Do you know that 800 years later, Israel is still waiting for that promise to happen? For God's judgment to come on the Jebusites and the Jebusites to leave and Israel to get that bit of land? 
hundred years. But on Watershaft Day, God fulfilled his promise. The point is profound, isn't it? God's promises never expire. They never run out, even after a long time. If God makes a promise, it will happen in his time, in his ways. It's why we can trust him. And if you're a Christian this morning, then you know very well that every promise that you trust with God is at least 2,000 years old. It's a long promise. So should you give up? Is, are they, have they expired all the promises of Jesus? Not one. Here are some. Jesus promises to forgive all your sins. Do you know there's no expiry date on that? Jesus says everyone who comes to Jesus will not be cast out. No expiry date. Jesus says, I will come back and I will get you and take you to be with me. No expiry date. You see, God's promises never expire. And we hold firmly to that. Episode three. Our focus turns to David and Ando is painting his portrait. And so Ando starts, it's strong, he's powerful, he's influential. And then foreign leaders, they want a selfie with David. They want to be in David's good books. And so kings like Hiram, they send gifts and resources for David's building project. And David then builds a brand new palace. It's a stunning portrait, isn't it? But that success didn't corrupt David. Look at verse 12. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David knew his place. He was a little K king. His kingship and his growing kingdom were the work of the capital K king of God. And then he also understands his role. As Emily taught this morning, he was not a king like the other nations. He was not a king like America or Russia or, or Egypt or the Philistines. He wasn't a king where he expected all the people under him to serve him and do his will and go and fight his battles. He was not the top of the tree. David was a king for the sake of God's own precious people. On David's job description, it was... Your role is not to be served, but to serve others for their benefit. It's a beautiful portrait, isn't it? Do you feel the tension? That's not how life works. We climb the ladder. We don't climb down. We take control, not give control. We serve ourselves. And even when very powerful people in our world, and a lot of you are powerful people, and you do the sacrificial thing, and we see celebrities do it all the time. They go and sleep rough, and they go and give lots of money, but they make sure they tell everyone on social media they're sleeping rough and giving lots of money. They're building their brand. And Christians, we are not immune. Our tribe is littered with Christians who pursue praise, power and other benefits in the church. 
for ourselves. David didn't do it perfectly, but he is the prototype for the one who did. King Jesus made himself nothing. King Jesus, he left the glory of heaven to become a human. He left it to die on our criminal cross to serve you. He gave his life as the payment ransom to bring us back to God. Our king is the first to serve, the first to sacrifice, and the first to love. And he calls his followers to be like him. If Jesus turned up at church this morning, he wouldn't be here for his benefit. He would sit in our church and he would say, how can I serve the person sitting next to me? That's why he got out of bed this morning to come to church. That's all he asks you to do. To come to church, not for your needs, but to serve the person sitting beside you for their benefit, not for your praise. And he puts you in a school. He puts you at the mine. He puts you in retirement activities, not for yourself, but to serve the people he puts in your life. Well, in 13 to 16, the picture turns sour. Remember this last week? David is full of kiwi fruit. You see it there? It's awful, isn't it? David takes and takes and takes, just as Samuel told Israel that the kings would do. He gets more and more and more wives, just like the other nations, more mistresses. He follows, follows his urges, the culture and the cultural around him. So as you look at Ando's picture of David, what you see is as his strength increases, his folly increases. That's going to undermine his kingdom as we keep reading. Why is this here? Because the Bible is brutally honest so that we would never be tempted to worship another Christian. There are really great preachers and leaders in the world and there are great courageous missionaries and there are men and women who have served and served and served at great sacrifice. They are all sinful people. There are no self-made saints in this world, whether they're dead or alive. There is no one who deserves your worship, except one. There's one perfect and good king who always does what God says, and that is Jesus. Episode 4. I want you to imagine a horrible scene, being at school, standing in a circle and just being pushed and pushed and pushed like a human pinball by horrible people. That was Israel's life for 200 years. Philistines, Egypt, Philistines, Egypt. Oh, can you imagine 200 years? Well, David knew that if he was going to have a kingdom that was any different, he needed to deal with this. He needed to deal with one of the pushers, the Philistines. Now, the Philistines, they're an evil power. They've been around since 1 Samuel 4, when they defeated Israel and they took God's ark back to their home. Goliath was a Philistine. The people who killed Saul, Philistines. They have been around and now they're back. 
in our passage, they do not worry when David was king of one tribe. But the moment David is king of all 12 tribes, they're terrified. So the army marched to a valley one mile from Jerusalem. And we see the Philistines, they do a splinter attack. They want to separate Israel's northern tribes, armies, and their southern armies. Very good strategy. So what happens next? Well, we all expect David to flex, right? Like the Hulk, you know, he's just, you know, then he stands up and he does the William Wallace 3,000-year-old speech. But you see what he does? He prays. He does what God's king should always do. You wonder why there's Gethsemane in Jesus' life? This is why. David sought God's guidance, probably through a priest, because David knew his place. Not my will, but yours be done. Now, David, he gets a reply and he just obeys. He's a king, little K king. He obeys and he attacks and he wins. But even in victory, David doesn't boast. As the Philistines, it's a great picture, isn't it? The Philistines, they're throwing their idols out of their backpack. They're useless, useless idols, useless gods. All imaginary gods are useless. You know that, right? They're useless. So he throws them out and the Philistines, they're going back for a, sorry, Israel, pick them up. They're going to have a bonfire. And David renames the place Baal Perazim. You know what it means? Well, it tells us the Lord bursts out. The picture is an explosion of water is what won this battle. Yahweh burst out. Then then there's a second battle. See it? And it's same, same, but different. Philistines regroup and attack. They're probably a bigger force now. David seeks God, same, same. But this time the answer is different because God is in control. David, God says, surprise attack. I want you to hide behind a tree. Yes, you look like a wuss, but wait for the sound of marching. Why? Because the first soldier going into battle was the Lord. The Lord was going ahead of David, and the result was the same. The Philistines were driven back and back and back and back and back and back to the coastal plain. Their presence on Israelite soil was gone forever, and as promised in 3.18, God saves his people through his king. One of the mistakes Western Christians make is that we forget that we're in wartime. We get scared, then we get surprised, and then we feel defeated when life is hard at school. When you put your hand up and say, I'm a Christian, and everyone gives you the look and more. Or when at work you stand up for someone and you get cancelled. We think, why is this hard? What, isn't, isn't, isn't this peacetime? No, it's not. We also forget that all ungrounded anger and mocking against OEC and Orange or ungrounded mocking at you is not personal. It's never personal. It is against the Lord and his king, for they are foolishly rejecting the God of the universe. But if you are sitting here this morning and you know that we still are in wartime, 
That victory over the Philistines is a shadow of the victory Jesus has won and will win. See it in Colossians? Jesus, past tensed, erased the certificate of debt. Your sins are gone with its obligations. That was against us and opposed to us. He's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. You see what he's done? The enemies are still alive, but they've got no clothes. But they still are here. And Jesus will come back. So as we experience the normal hostility of being Christians in this world, we walk forward saying Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Because standing in front of you as you walk this week is the Lord himself. And King Jesus is on the throne. The sin, the devil, the defeat, the death, they're all defeated and Jesus will return. And so we do what David and Jesus did. We turn to the Lord in prayer for help and guidance. Do you know Street View is 16 years old? We've had 16 years of these weird cars driving around. And on our phones, we now have 3D images. It was invented by Google co-founder Larry Page. He wanted a 360-degree map of the whole world. Now, before 2006, your map, for those of you who are old, it was in 2D. Remember that? But now, on your phone, are 220 billion Street View images from 100 countries. And from your phone, you can experience the world a little bit in 3D. The Bible is more than a 2D picture. It's not a 2D picture of God containing the right things to believe. It's not just a maths equation. The Bible is a street view of God and his kingdom over history. It has amazing depth and shadows and patterns. And the Bible, it invites you to worship a 3D God. One who is completely consistent in character from Genesis to Revelation and one who is multidimensional in action as he implements his plan. And he's 100% faithful, even with the venom of Saul, the rebellion of the northern tribes and the follies of David. And when you get to Jesus, he presents God in high HD so that you can know fully who the God is you follow. There are times when you and I, because of busyness and laziness, revert back to a 2D picture of God. That does not take away your salvation. Your salvation is dependent on trusting Jesus, who has already taken your sins away. But a 2D picture of God, a flat picture of God, it damages, it damages our hearts. Our worship, we come on Sunday, it becomes stale. Our morning prayers become small and our focus as we talk about things turns to be small things like how does church work and my frustrations with just little things and what others are doing wrong. See, the focus comes down. God wants more for you. 
Do you know that God wants you to love him with all your heart and your mind and your soul and strength? Now, please don't think that God wants you to try harder to love him. That doesn't work. Try it with your mum today. Like, it doesn't work. What it means is this. God wants you to meet him in 3D in his word and be so captivated by his richness, his glory, his goodness, his love and mercy that knowing God explodes your heart. The application this week is a prayer. I've taken it from Ephesians. And if you want a 3D picture of God, I just encourage you to pray it every day this week. It's on the screen. Dear God, help us to grasp the length and width, height and depth of your love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of you. Amen.